we find that so many founders try to go to market and try to raise, and they just don't understand what they need to actually be working on to be a great founder. I'm Jim Huffman, and this is If I Was Starting Today, a collection of conversations about half-baked startup ideas, growth tactics, and stories from founders, including my own journey as a business owner. All of the content is centered around one question. What would you do if you were starting today? Today on the podcast, I have Brian Smith. He is the co-founder of Leon VC. And here's what's interesting about it. He has a background in sports science. Specifically, he worked with professional soccer leagues in Europe. He worked with the U.S. track and field team to use data to predict what player a team should invest in and acquire, what athlete they believe based off of data is going to perform really well. He took that same Moneyball style of analysis and he's pointed it with his company to startups, to founders, where it can help a founder find the right co-founder based on how he scores potential CEOs or co-founders. Investors can use it to know, hey, what team should I invest in based on data? They've come up with what they call the founder potential score after looking at 100 different funds to see what team could be that breakout success. So this conversation is fascinating on what it takes to be one of those breakout founders. And it's not what you would expect, actually. It's looking at how you score things around resilience, grit, stress level that, that you can endure. So it's a really fun conversation on what it takes to figure out who's going to be a great founder and also where you're weak and how you can get better. And so funds pay him a lot of money to do this analysis. They've raised over $20 million to invest side by side, and they have a community of founders that you could connect with to take the assessment score and see if you could find the right co-founder. But this was a really fun conversation. Brian has a very unique perspective when it comes to starting a business and growing. And at the very end, he shares some a really cool story on the nicest thing someone did for him whenever he was breaking in as a founder himself and the one hit trait he had that made someone want to invest. So really hope you enjoy this episode with Brian. Today on the podcast, I've got Brian Smith here from Leon VC. But Brian, welcome to the podcast. I'm super excited to be on, man. Well, first, j just at a high level, what is Leon VC? Just so people know the context of this. I'll give you an idea of my background first, and I'll sort of just give you the story as far as, you know, where Leon VC came from. So, you know, in a in a previous life, you know, I'm not that old, but it feels like a previous life at this point. I was a director of sports science for USA Track and Field, and I worked with European Premier League and NFL and whatnot, right? And, you know, ultimately what we did is we used data science to predict performance and predict injury in athletes during in-season. And then off-season, we were using data to sort of profile athletes before a draft, right? Or if we're working in the European Premier League, it was about, you know, using data to understand the athlete that we're potentially about to purchase, you know, through another club or whatnot, you know, what are the risks associated with buying that athlete, right? So, you know, I did that for a bunch of years. And then we started Leon VC, you know, using a data model that we took from professional sports, which is all about understanding and predicting founder success in startups. Right. So primarily what we do is we work with roughly about 175, 200 funds 
to quantify something we call founder potential before investing within a startup or, or a founder in early stage, right? Then we also have a $20 million fund off of that where we co-invest in the founders that we work with that we do diligence on. And then we also have a community off of that where we support early stage founders. That's super impressive. And I actually want to get to the sports science for a second, because if you're working with a professional team for the Premier League and they're about to just hand over truckloads full of money to an athlete, similar to like an acquisition of a deal, you want to do due diligence. So can you give any examples of like, okay, you're going to like invest in this midfielder, you're going to hand over millions of dollars. What are some of the attributes you're breaking down where it's like age, history of health, stats you're looking at? Are you getting into like their dad and their mom's biological history? Like drop some knowledge on us. Yeah, it gets crazy, especially in, in Europe, right? Where the laws are a little bit different. But if we're talking about European Premier League, the good thing about in the EPL is, you know, they have junior teams and whatnot, right? So the amount of data that you can pull is massive. So if we're talking about minutes played, any sort of like sort of volume-based activity and intensity-based activity that we can collect on an effort, right? So that can be something as looking at like GPS monitoring and understand like how many miles did he run over his period of a career at a certain level of intensity, right? Because we can use that to understand potential risk within hamstring injuries and whatnot, right? But we also look at like slow brainwave activity. So if we're getting into like real like due diligence, we'll look at heart rate variability. We'll look at slow brainwave activity using EEG. We'll look at blood analytics. We'll look at jump testing. We'll look at strength testing. In some countries, we even do muscle biopsies to look at like muscle fiber makeup. Oh my God. Understand potentially how to train <laughs> this athlete and how to develop this athlete. In the States, like we're working with like an NBA team, you know, a lot of that same data is looking at you know, playing time and statistics related to the sport, but also how many games or minutes they played within, you know, college or high school or whatnot, collecting subjective feedback from previous coaches, you know, maybe mentors, whatever else. But then, like I said before, using a lot of that sort of physiological data to help us understand, really, it's about understanding the potential of the athlete, right? You know, I use this analogy about like a window of trainability, right? And the idea for a window of trainability is that when we're working with athletes or even founders to a certain extent, we're always assessing how open that window is to give them a massive amount of stress, right? And a lot of that's going to be dictated by past experience, previous trauma, all these different things, right? And essentially what it's looking at is how much stress has that athlete taken in throughout their career, right? And how closed is that window? Because if that window's wide open, the potential for that athlete to improve is massive. But if they've peaked early or they had a coach that, you know, maybe pushed them too hard or whatnot, then we know that window is sort of closing a little bit. So the level of stress that we can give that athlete is now limited. Wow. So it's not like, well, they can endure a lot of stress. It's like they've taken a lot and that window is closing is what they can continue to sustain. Is that a dumbed down exactly. version? I mean, look at like, you know, LeBron, like coming out of, you know, coming out of high school, right? You saw his capacity to be able to perform at a high school level, but relatively speaking, his minutes were low. I mean, the amount of games he's played and activities that compared to, you know, a college player. So in his case, you know, he's peaking at this obnoxious level, but he hasn't experienced much stress and much volume and much intensity mm -hmm. throughout yeah. his career compared to a, you know, a four-year, you know, collegiate, you know, player. So 
you know, obviously, you know, LeBron is the outlier, but then you look at someone like Steph Curry, where he's a complete outlier, right? Yeah. And ultimately with Leon, that's what we're trying to do is we're trying to understand who the outlier founders are. You know, yeah. maybe didn't go to Stanford or maybe didn't go to MIT or Harvard or whatever else, you know, and they might not get a look within the VC space because they don't have those those KPIs of the traditional sort of venture world. And with us and with our diagnostic, we, you know, we took our diagnostic, we benchmarked it against MOIC with like 150 funds. So we, we were able to look for a correlation coefficient against our data and financial outcomes or, you know, predictive, you know, financials with MOIC. So yeah, that's what we do, man. I mean, our, our goal is to really showcase outlier founders and really, you know, give the market an idea as far as who has the capacity and the potential to be a great founder, even though they didn't go to MIT or wherever else. Yeah. Well, first off, that's that's super exciting. We'll even go back to sports for one second. It'll put a pin in it. When you look at the draft, like I'm a huge NBA fan, there's these iconic drafts where it's like obviously Michael Jordan went number three and Sam Bowie went number two. And I mean, that changes not even a franchise, but a city if he goes to Portland instead of Chicago. And even like what 2017 like Markel Fultz went number one and he's kind of been a bust whereas Jason Tatum's number three and like the amount of data and like analysis I bet that goes into that is just insane it's I mean yep. th these are like decade altering decisions for for these programs so you're basically like I've done this I've done this with sports how do we flip it on on the business side and so Actually, I'm going to just start with the haymaker question because this is the one we all want to know. Give me the like attributes that make up the super founder that the data shows. So people listening to this can be like, absolutely, that's me. Or it's like, oh, crap, I don't have that. You know, I mean, it's 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 difficult because the way our data model is built out, it's based off relative analysis, meaning looking at comparing founders versus founders rather than having a limit score, right? So we have something called, which is our founder potential score, and that has no upward bound limit, right? So on yeah. average founders score within probably around like, you know, eight to 10, which is probably above 80th percentile, but we've had some founders, you know, who've scored 13, 14, 15 above that, right? Now, what makes up that score is we look at roughly about 29 different metrics. You know, that ranges from personal well-being type metrics, like how well do you sleep? You know, how resilient are you? What is your burnout risk? Things along those lines. We also look at your subjective opinion of the current state of the company, right? So what does your culture look like? What is your thought process in building culture? How do you build sustainable teams? Yada, yada, yada. But also we look at, you know, some of the investor type metrics, right? And we also dig deep into like the team itself and to really sort of figuring out on a team level, you know, how does the team that you're potentially invested in, how do they perceive the company that we're looking at? But to break it really down, when we're looking at a great founder, a great founder is going to be someone who's highly, highly resilient. Now, resilient, it's resilient. Itself, it's a fucking bullshit term, right? And, and, and this is what I, this is what I'll say about this. Now, we use it because it's a catch all phrase. But there's a great research. Are, are you out in the West Coast by any chance? Yeah, I'm in uh, Seattle. Okay, so Stanford, there's this great researcher named Robert Sapolsky. And there's for your, for your listeners, there's an amazing book called Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers. And this book is all about stress and stress adaptation. You know, And what he talks about in the book is that how adaptable and how resilient we are 
is not so much of like, I meditate fucking every day. It's not about that, right? There's so many other factors that come into play, even including epigenetic factors. There was an amazing research study about epigenetic factors, and they looked at Holocaust survivors, and they looked at the great-grandchildren of Holocaust survivors. And what they showed is that the great-grandchildren of Holocaust survivors either had an overabundance of a certain hormone that allowed them to adapt the stress in a very, very high rate, or underabundance of that adaptable hormone that allowed them to adapt at a very, very high rate. So the ability for the these, these people to be resilient was dictated not by how long they meditate or what they do, but also by the genetic factors that were influenced through their grandparents and whatnot, right? So when we talk about what makes up a great founder, when we talk about resilience, you know, we look at things like, you know, where did you grow up at and what type of environment, you know, did you move countries, all these other things to really sort of understand, you know, what are some of these factors other than you sleep well and you meditate every single day that potentially make you a very, very resilient person. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's super interesting. Resilience. So out of those 29 kind of traits you're looking at, like resilience is, is a big one. You hit a one around like team and culture. What are some of those other factors you're scoring or grading? Yeah. So we're looking at founder dependency. All right. We're looking at investor pressure. We're looking at general perception of the product itself and then sort of, you know, what they're sort of building right now. Like I said, we're looking at culture, we're looking at team makeup, you know, we're looking at, you know, how you sleep, we're looking at how you exercise, you know, all these other things to sort of just give us some understanding of the capacity of this founder to be able to grow and scale a successful company. I feel like grow, yeah, grow and scale a company. And also maybe they're a great founder for an A round, but are they the right founder for a C round? That's what gets really different because when we start talking, this is, you know, if you think from a sports standpoint, the physiological and psychological makeup of an NFL quarterback versus an offensive lineman are going to be completely different, right? Yeah. Same way with the NBA, with a point guard and Joel Embiid. It's going to be very, very different, right? Now, in the startup space, the makeup of a SaaS founder and yeah. a biotech founder are completely different, right? And the profile of a you know early seed stage founder and a Series A, Series B, Series C founder is completely different. So when we work with funds, we're tracking this data longitudinally over time to sort of look for inflection points Lizzie. where you know not necessarily saying you have to let go of a founder or, you know, replace yeah, him yeah. from the CEO standpoint, you know, but it is, you know, it's, it's understanding how does the, how does the fund coach up that founder, well, he, you know, over time to get him to a point. So, you know, and we're not there yet as far as the profiling, we can get into certain, not from a series A and sort of, you know, growth stage companies that were mostly in early stage, but we definitely have profiles of, you know, SaaS founders of, you know, direct consumer founders of, you know, biotech and healthcare founders are very, very different. Yeah, no, that's fascinating. How are you getting this data? Is it public available data? Are you getting some access to private data? Do you have these founders go to a founder combine and you put them on a treadmill? Like, like what's happening? Yeah, so so it's important to understand how the data model was built, right? So when we, we first started out, what we did is we pulled diligence data with over 100 funds of all their diligence data. So we looked at, you know, reference checks, 
We looked at resumes. We looked at calendar interviews. We looked at financial data and whatnot. And that built up sort of the composite data model to help us understand what makes up a successful founder, right? But in this case, you know, we, we, dumbed it down to roughly about a three minute diagnostic, you know, so it's not two hours long or anything like that. But within three minutes, you know, we can generate on average per diagnostic, roughly about 70,000 data points on a founder. And then we start adding a bunch of other stuff. We can pull in reference checks into that and that all gets pulled into the founder potential score, all sorts of different things. That's crazy. So you get access through a hundred funds to this data set you're able to go through and see like, okay, of these outperformers, what did they have that made them kind of above average? So talk to me about the application and use of this, right? So this is really powerful data where you get insights to make decisions that have millions of dollars behind it, right? Because you'll kind of work a few different ways, like with your own fund, you're helping connect founders, you've got a community like Walk me through that. Like, are phones just like hitting you guys up? Like, all right, you're a new due diligence arm and you're helping yeah. us like do the final mile of these deals. Yeah. I mean, well, what's interesting about, you know, investing and, you know, I posted something on LinkedIn about this recently is that the amount of dollars that are spent on understanding and who you draft in the NFL draft from a diligence standpoint is massive, right? But if you look at it from a diligence standpoint with an early stage investment, and granted, they're not writing, you know, $20 million checks for one founder who's going to like be the, you know, the king of the empire for the next seven to 10 years, right? Hopefully. Yeah. You know, but in this situation, you know, the amount of diligence that's done in early stage founders is, is next to nothing, right? You know, for most, for the most part, it's like, it's a fucking walk in the park for three hours to tell you if I like this founder or not. It's completely subjective. Yes. Right? Yeah. Um, and... You know, so, and, you know, for us, as far as, you know, we, there's a couple of different ways we work with funds. We either build out custom data models for funds where, you know, it's benchmarked against their own data set and it's continuously updated with more diagnostic data, reference checks, background checks, and whatnot. And that sort of just gives them their own sort of, you know, model to sort of benchmark that's proprietary to them. And then we just do, you know, simple diligence for a bunch of other funds, right? Where if they're thinking about investing, we either work with an, you know, an analyst or, you know, some sort of scout or whatever to do diligence right from the start or to your point, it's done in the last mile where, you know, they've done all the traditional due diligence. Now we want to assess the founding team. So that's what we're due diligence there. Now, the good thing from us, from a fund standpoint is that, you know, if any of the funds we work with, we have the ability to co-invest. So really our thesis is all based around the data. If a founder fits our model, all right, and the fund that we work with does the traditional diligence and they're going to invest, that's enough of a signal for us assuming our data model sort of matches up. Right, yeah, that's your unfair advantage. It's like they're bringing you the deal flow and then it's like going off the charts on your model. You're like, wow, this would be an amazing investment thesis for us. Let, let us dive in. Um, exactly. That's very cool. So, so for the listeners to put a bow on it, to be the super founder, to have your algorithm, to be like, to have your stuff go on, off the charts, what do I need to do? I need to be resilient. I need to build the most amazing culture. I probably need to have some awesome track record. Is there anything around like, you know, being really good at just grit 
and like overcoming tough things. Can you see that like someone came from like a single mom, someone came from the project. And that's what, that's what I was sort of talking about. You know, this, this concept of resilience or adaptability, you know, which I was mentioning that book is, is driven by so much more than how you feel about yourself. Right. And a lot of times previous trauma, all right, regardless if it's from a broken household or, you know, grew up in an unstable environment, whatever, that can either make us or break us, mm -hmm. right? And some people take that trauma and they're able to sort of capitalize on that, assuming other things have been put in place. And other people, it's a complete opposite, right? But yeah. we do know from a, we've looked at this actually, we've pulled in like work history, um, you know, parental, you know, background and where you grew up and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And for the founders who have been put in great positions who came out of that environment, as long as they got out of the projects or, you know, for talking about that, you know, yeah. they're most of the time extremely adaptable, extremely resilient. And, you know, the data supports this, right? Founders who've lived in other countries that moved to the States, you know, usually end up being more successful founders. Women founders usually end up being more successful founders. Right. But the problem is, is that, or minority founders, you know, we've talked to a ton of funds about minority founders. And from a financial metric standpoint, they're usually outliers from a positive standpoint about having great financial metrics at exit or at funding round or whatever else. It is. Right. So, but the problem is, is that most of the founders look like you and I that live in a certain area that went to a certain school and they don't get looked at because they didn't work at Facebook or, you know, wherever else. Right. Yeah. But, you know, and I listen, I mean, you know, VC in, in this world is about mitigating risk as much as possible. Right now, we support on that, but VC is also about finding outliers. Right. Yeah. And if you don't have data that can sort of help you find those outliers, then you're never really going to find those outliers. You're just going to be fucking lucky. Right. That, that's amazing. I'm also interested in like the community aspect that you guys are doing. Because for me, that that's super interesting. Because in addition to like serving funds with the data, you're investing to us next to them. You also have like a founder studio and you have this community. Elaborate more on that because that's fascinating because you guys are doing this kind of like full circle approach to like what you offer. Yeah. So the, the founder community is for, you know, the very, very early stage founder. And, and then what we do is we do our complete diligence package and process on the founders when they come into our community free of charge. Actually, I think it's 10 bucks a month, right? So yeah. Come in, you know, we do the complete profile. We do reference checks. We do our founder potential diagnostic. We do an organizational health assessment. So if they have a team, we assess their team. And then we provide coaching opportunities and resources and discounts and everything else around that to be able to support their founders. You know, you know, one thing about me and, you know, our team is I really just want to help people and I really just want to help founders, you know? So that's why we bring them to the community, give them everything they need to understand as far as how do you be a better founder? All right. And then we'll also, you know, introduce you to our VC funds and some of our partners and whatnot at the right point in time, because we find that so many founders try to go to market and try to raise, and they just don't understand what they need. All right. Yeah. What they need to actually be working on to be a great founder first and foremost. Right. Because if you're not a great founder, none of this shit is going to work. You know, unless you're extremely lucky, all right, and, you know, you nailed, you know, market timing, you know, to a certain extent, but you have to be a great founder. And that's what we want to do is we want to build better founders. And then, you know, from there, you know, you know, hopefully your company succeeds and that's it.
Yeah. And so by going into that, because I think it's it's kind of tough sometimes to like hear what you're not good at, but that's like what you need to grow if you have that growth mindset, right? So by going into that, could someone like me go in there? Can I do the assessment or the diagnostic and get my score and see maybe where I'm strong, but also where I'm lacking so I know where to improve? Is that an opportunity or is it more so community to like, work with others to like learn and, and like lift each other up. Yeah. I mean, all that stuff's there, obviously and we'll do events and all those other things, but you know, any new founder that comes into our, into our model or into our community, everybody gets a founder potential diagnosis. Mm-hmm. You know, so we'll, we'll do that. We'll generate, we have an LM, LLM model that generates all the data that we need. We spin up a report for you, compare you to against other founders, you know, and then from there, obviously the community stuff is going to be about like, how can we expand on some of the data that we're seeing, right? So yeah. like for right now we're doing like, you know, I think right now, like 97% of all the founders, you know, within our, within our community are extremely stressed out. So what did we do? Right. We built out a, a framework library to be able to help founders to educate on things that they can, you know, we've partnered with aim seven to give them, you know, like wearable data and start tracking their HRV and sleep and all these other yeah. things. We partner with better help so we can get them talk therapy. You know, we have events around stress management and, you know, really- our folks coming on. And that's the goal is every month we take, we look at what founders are struggling with. All right. And then we provide resources and education to be able to support founders during that time. Yeah. No, that's amazing. I will say though, I love the founder potential score. I'm, I'm picturing like, like the ESPN 100 or like five star athletes where like you're owning that rating. You're like the Michelin star, right? For, <laughs> yeah. for yeah. founders and putting that out there. Cause the other thing, I mean, yeah. I love giving people ideas to their business as if they haven't already thought about it because they think of it more than anybody else. But the other thing like that you're probably very much aware of is the like buy rather than build movement of acquisition entrepreneurship because so many people, uh, I'm seeing their issue is like placing CEOs and placing founders, whereas you all have this database of like founder potential score, people that would be amazing in or you can even make the distinction. Are they amazing in the founder role or amazing in the CEO role? Because there's times where it's the same and there's times where it's it's very different, right? But I, I feel like the 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 wave you're riding of of having this kind of like stable of of really talented founders, CEOs, and operators it is something that the applications could be big even outside of the startup ecosystem. Actually, it's actually an idea I didn't think of. So thank you for All that. Right. Yeah. And, and the hard part about, you know, looking for correlations, you know, within CEOs of large companies, there's, there's so much noise in that data as far as what makes up a great CEO. Right. And that was, you know, and we looked at it, we looked at going into private equity and, you know, some of the M&A space and, and whatnot. But, you know, the good thing about early stage is that founders have so much of an impact of what happens mm-hmm. in a company. Yeah. At that point, right. So you know, you're not influenced by, you know, you know, the, you know, the stock price or, you know, whatever else. It's just mm-hmm. this one specific thing, which is mostly going to be a founder and a founding team. And what can they do to help drive this company forward? Right. So it's, it's fairly easy to develop some sort of data model off of it. Yeah, that's cool. I'm also always interested in people's own like unfair advantage or their unique lens that gives them um, a different perspective. You have one that's like, very, very interesting coming from sports. What, what's one thing coming from sports and what you've done with sports and data that you now like 
set your sights on business and founders, what what's something that's maybe that we would not expect that when you look at it from that lens, it's something different that, that we need to start shutting our eyes on? Yeah. You know, I, I guess I would look at is that in in athlete in, in in sports, the athlete is the asset, right? Mm-hmm. And the athlete is the individual that you need to protect at all costs. And yeah. the way that I, you know, run my company or you know whatever else, it's you know it's always going to be people first. And I know that sounds like some bullshit HR term, you know? yeah. But you know, <laughs> there's 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 a great term or there's a great like analogy I use is the teams that win are the teams that can repeat performance over and over and over again with minimal people cost, mm. right? Yeah. And, and me, so if I can reduce that cost as much as possible, or founders can reduce those people costs as much as possible, right. then you can always get more out of them. In a sense where we're keeping that window open, right? So with my yeah, yeah. team. I'm always looking to keep that window open. Yeah. No, I think that's so good. And there's this whole movement, like the executive team should have the CHRO person on there because people literally are like the things that get growth. Because it's like, yes, you want to have the right idea. Yes, you have the right market. But if you have the right team, they're going to find a way to the right market and the right idea, right? To get you on that path. And I, I think so many times, like people want to think of like the the light bulb moment, but really it's like, do you have the rock star team that's going to help you weather the storm? And are you data driven on that as opposed to just being like, oh, I vibed with that person or we clicked, you know what I mean? But we're really looking at it the, the right way. I mean, honestly, like I, I'm like just now building out my executive team. I'd love to be able to apply the model to the executive team, right? To, to really have that data driven approach. Obviously, like, the, the founder is the, the biggest lever to pull, but for like growing companies, like are you, are you guys applying this to executive teams as well? Yeah. I mean, from a data standpoint, yeah. I mean, it depends on the size of the company, but yeah, the plan is to be able to move into private equity and whatnot, you know, and start looking at, you know, when, when a firm is about to acquire a company, what does the makeup of the executive team look like? And is it something worth purchasing? Where do you have to make a change? Yeah. Oh, that's amazing, man. So I'm, I'm interested. I've got a couple more questions. One is like, what's kind of the goal with Leon VC? Because what you guys are doing, it's one of those ideas. It's not like if it'll happen, but when it'll happen and how big it's clearly happening because of the success that you had. But like why like firms and funds wouldn't be adopting this? It's a hard case to go against it, right? Yeah. You know what? It's sort of like, uh, you know, and, and I use sports analogies probably entirely way too much. But, you know, the VC world right now is sort of like the 1970s high school Texas football coach, right? (laughs) Yeah. The only way you win is if players throw up after practice. Absolutely. Yeah. Two days, let's go. Yeah. Exactly. Right. And you see that transition or, you know, and hopefully we're trying to lead that transition is that where there's, there's just better ways to be able to assess investments, to be able to assess founders, to coach founders. Right. And that's what yeah. we want to move towards. Like we want to go from the 70s high school football coach to, you know, what you see in front offices right now are professional teams. Yeah. Kind of m- money ball style as far as doing it the right way. And that's super interesting. I mean, what other industries are, are ripe for disruption with this or what, what other applications? I mean, maybe those are the two big ones is sports and then like founders and executives, because that's where people viewed as an asset have the biggest ROI potential. Right. 
The other thing that could be cool but not as lucrative is in the teaching world, right? That that would be amazing to see the teachers that could have the biggest impact on students and whatnot. But I don't even know how you start to gain that data set. Well, I mean, you know, there's there's so much there, you know, because you you want to take regardless if it's teaching or managing people or whatnot. It's it's always about taking this sort of n equals one type approach, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, there's there's a, another great book, and it's by that same author Robert Sapolsky that I mentioned a little bit ago, right? And it actually just came out. And the argument of his book is that there is no such thing as free will, mm-hmm. right? And that within free will or the, the decisions that we make is all dictated by biochemical processes within the body that have sort of done whatever, right? Yeah, yeah. And which is really interesting if you think about it. But, you know, in that situation, and I think about understanding this concept that there is no free will, and I'm not going to argue if there's free will or not, right? That's, that's yeah. for other, for other people to do. <laughs> the idea here is is that if, if if there's so many other processes that are involved in how we make decisions and actions we take, mm-hmm. are we going to be more empathetic to people in general when they make poor actions? Mm-hmm. Right, and I think that when you start using data, it start opens it opens up this uh, this model where you can. You can treat that individual, not necessarily like a data point, but you can take this N equals one approach where every individual is different, right? So if you're managing people, if it's coaching kids, if it's teaching kids, whatever, you know, it's, it's understanding that we're also inherently different in the way that you manage me versus you or whatever else with the expectations or how resilient they are is going to be dictated by so many other things that are completely out of our control and that we're absolutely not aware of, right? So I, I think... You know, the value of data is that it at least gives you a lens to be able to view an individual or, you know, a, a student or whatever else and to provide you sort of a path, right? And that ultimately, that's what data should do. It should provide you a direction. It's not going to tell you how to solve anything. It's not going to, you know, whatever, but it's going to give you a path to say, this is the right thing to do the risk of this individual based off what I'm seeing. And that's what they do in sports, you know, and that's what we're trying to do, you know, in startups. Yes, I'm. I'm in three hours. I have to go coach a first grade basketball team, so I'm going to apply this methodology to those wild well, gender. Well, that's perfect, strangers. right? Because you see it all day, and like I love coaches because you know it's not like you know you're hiring a bunch of marketers, right? Growth marketers, right? Like, yeah. They all look the same, whatever. <laughs> you know, but in basketball, it's like you know you have you know this little kid who's five two, but it's like feisty or your or first grade, so he's like three foot, whatever, you know, like as hell and you could push that person, you know, whatever, you know, and you start developing mental models of like, how can I coach this kid? You know, what is potentially their skill set based off I'm seeing? And a lot of being a great leader is about having these heuristics or mental models that'll allow us to place buckets to understand how to make the most impact for that individual. Yeah, no, that that's so interesting, and that that really resonates. And that that's super fascinating. Okay, cool. I'm gonna hit you with some speed round stuff, and I'll ask you with one last question. And I I was not kind enough to give Brian a warning of any of these ahead of time, so he has to do these while he's sick. So that's fine. Let's go ahead. What what's like a productivity win that you feel like you have that other people should apply? ADD. How about that one? <laughs> Just makes you go really fast. Nice. What What's like something you do to start your day or in the morning that helps you win the day? 
you know, I, I think coming from the world of, you know, sports and whatnot, you know, I would love to say like I jump in an ice bath or, or something <laughs> along those lines, right? But I don't have one of those, man. It's like I have three kids, you know, so I get up, I have my cup of coffee, do what I need to do. And just, you know, I guess the one thing I do do is, you know, I have a whiteboard or a notebook. I just make a to-do list, you know, every single morning. That just keeps me on track. Isn't it funny? Like I try to get so, my partner doesn't have kids and like he's, like the ultimate life I guy, and I've tried all of his stuff. They all failed. I literally just used my Apple Notes. I'm like, what are the three things I want to do today? I'm like, all right, let's go. Yeah, um, great book, Checklist Manifesto. I mean, it's a fantastic book that can set you yeah. on path. No, well, you kind of hit on the next one. Give me a book to read. Is that the book to read, Checklist Manifesto? No, no, no. You know, I mentioned this earlier, but two books. All right, Sapolsky, Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers. Mm -hmm. All right, and then Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. Yeah, fantastic. cool. Um, that's awesome. And then... Um, this is for all the dads listening and myself. Um, g give me uh, a dad hack for managing running a business and, and being a dad. Do everything your partner wants you to do. I went to ask it. Because that's the only way I can get back upstairs at eight o'clock at night to, you know, to come work. But I think it's about, I think it's about just being a great partner first and foremost. And then you're obviously a great dad. So that's not. Yeah, yeah. No, that's awesome. And then the, the last question I like to ask everybody, like, what is the nicest thing anyone's done for you in your professional career? In my professional career? Yeah. So I think it was, you know, when I came out of sports, I, I didn't have a tech background. And actually my business partner now with Leon VC was an investor and the first company that I had, which was acquired at a later time. And that's a, a different story. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I didn't have a tech background. I just had an idea. And right. he took a chance on me and he invested in us. You know, he was our, our first, you know, friends and family investment. And, you know, I think he said, he's just like, he's like, you have more tenacity than I've ever seen anything from Wall Street. He's like, you have more tenacity and, you know, grit than anything I've ever seen, you know, based off where I worked before. So, you know, I think for me, that was about, you know, instilling belief that, you know, I can live in this space and I'm not just, you know, a coach. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty cool, man. That's a high praise. I feel like tenacity is the ultimate compliment. Is that in the founder potential score? Is there a tenacity score? Like in, he's in, a, re in a relative way. We look at grit. We look at all this. Things, yeah. uh, whatever term you want to use. Yes. 100%. Oh, that's cool. That's an awesome story. Well, cool. Well, Brian, where should we point people if they want to learn more about you or Leon VC or, or what you're working on? Yeah, so leonvc.com, the website on there, you can find our founder studio. It's seven days free to join and everything that. It's 10 bucks a month. And obviously we discussed everything. And then, you know, primarily from there, just LinkedIn. Yeah. And the blog there is pretty strong too. There's some really good content that people should go check out. There, there's some really good free resources. Well, cool. Well, Brian, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thanks, Joe. I'll give a few plugs. First, I send a weekly newsletter each Thursday featuring five articles or tools that have helped me. You can sign up for these weekly updates at jimwhuffman.com. Second, for anyone running a startup, if you need help growing your business, check out GrowthHit. GrowthHit serves as your external growth team. After working with over 100 startups and generating a quarter billion in sales for clients, GrowthHit has perfected a growth process that's hell-bent on driving ROI through rapid experiments. Plus, you'll get to work with yours truly. 
So if you want to work with a team that's worked with startups that have been funded by Andreessen Horowitz or featured on Shark Tank, then check out growthhit.com. And finally, I wrote a book called The Growth Marketer's Playbook that takes everything I've learned as a growth mentor for venture-backed startups, and I've distilled it down to 140 pages. So instead of hiring a growth team, save yourself some money, get the book, and you can just do it yourself. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I'd love to hear feedback. I'm on Twitter at Jim W. Huffman. Are you a business owner in desperate need of talent, but you have issues finding good people? Or worse, you find the talent, but then they want you to pay them double what you have budgeted. Yeah, I know the feeling. This is where remotely talents can help. Imagine having a personal HR team that finds you A plus talent, and here's the best part, it costs you 40 or even 80% less than US employees. It's magic. So let's say you need help with setting up your social ads, your Google ads, email marketing, website development, customer service. Their team sources the top Ukrainian talent for you and they deliver three top vetted candidates straight to your inbox. It's a one-time payment and best yet, they give you a 60-day guarantee to ensure you're happy. Hey, if it doesn't work out, they'll find and replace the talent for free. Even better, 3% of all sales go to the Children's Hospital in Ukraine. At Growth Head, our agency, we've hired four people from Ukraine. I am blown away by the level of work we're getting. So whether you need a virtual assistant or a creative director, give this a try. Go to remotelytalents.com right now and start a conversation. See if they can help you. You really have nothing to lose.